lane, 15, 10, touchdown, Chargers! What's up, guys? Welcome into a brand new episode of Chargers Weekly. As always, joined by Matt Money-Smith. Money, we are less than a week away from the NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, Q&A with the fans today, but I-, I cannot wait for next week. We got a lot of surprises. We do, yeah. Um, I was kind of going through the questions to, to prep for today's um, pod, and, and I know there was kind of there were a couple in there about the Combine, but I'll, I'll just kind of knock one out. Sorry, Chris, real quick. It Go said, for it. You know, because you said the, the Combine. When are we going to start hearing from coaches at the Combine? I think we'll probably catch up with a couple of the coaches. Position coaches go out to the combine to evaluate the talent. They fly in for the day of the drills for their respective position groups that they coach. And so the hope is that we'll catch up with a few of them while we're out there. But I'm excited. Uh, obviously, used to cover the combine for a decade plus with the NFL Network and NFL.com. Is some of my favorite things, uh, if not my favorite thing I've ever done in sports when they you know, before the NFL realized the mistake they had made, they would put uh, us on the field. They would let me just have complete free reign of the field with Bucky, uh, DJ, when he first got started, Lance Zerline, um, Ike Taylor, Maurice Jones-Drew. There are about seven or eight of us, and we just had all access. We could go anywhere, stand exactly wherever we wanted. I was maybe 10 feet from Justin Herbert during his throwing drills when when he came out. I remember the RG3 and Andrew Luck year standing at the finish line when they're running their 40s, watching Andrew Luck doing the vert and the broad jump. And uh, so the combine has always had a – I've always had a very special connection. You know, just I, I, I really enjoy it. I know some people think it's a bit ridiculous, but just having been in the thick of it for as many years as I was, I do know how important it is. And, and how much can change coming out of the combine. People try to minimize it, but I've, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen Teron Armstead go from someone absolutely nobody knew who he was, Arkansas Pine Bluff, to a mid-round pick, and now one of the best. It should have been a first-round pick, but everyone was still like, eh, don't know about the production, but you could see it on the field, just the way he moved. Uh, things like that yeah. end up happening every single year at the combine, so I'm excited. It's, it's my favorite... Uh, event on the NFL calendar uh, by far. I think the draft is second. Um, everybody has hope in March, and, and there's just so many things happening at the Combine Money, I- independent of of the workouts and the interviews. I mean, it's the start of free agency. Um, it, it just new coaches, especially. I think the last time I was there was was the Herbert year pre pandemic, and when you have a top five pick or a top ten pick, or if you have a new coach, new GM. It just makes the event even more magnified. So I, I can't wait to to dig in and, and talk to some of the position coaches and just look at some of these prospects because at number five overall, we talked to Joe a couple of weeks ago, and you know I, I feel like this is a team that could do so many different things at number five, and a lot of it is just contingent on the quarterbacks. Like the, the quarterbacks don't affect the Chargers because they don't need one, but they do. Because if somebody wants one and one's available at number five overall, you may get a haul that in years past you wouldn't get because this class is so strong. And I think they're projecting that this class, uh, in comparison to next year's class, if you want a quarterback, this is probably the year to get it, no? Yeah, it's not close as far as just – especially at the top. Caleb Williams, Drake May, 
when you're talking about next year at the top. And, you know, I guess Quinn Ewers is probably the the headliner as it stands right now. I don't know what kind of year Carson Beck's going to have at Georgia, but um, yeah, that's, that's probably, that's going to be a reason why someone could reach for a J and JJ McCarthy is the one I think we're, we're talking about. I don't think Jaden Daniels gets out of the top five. I think he'd have to weigh in really light at the combine. And I would assume we, we saw it last year with, you know, Bryce Young ends up getting over 200 pounds and, you know, immediately gets back down into the one high one eighties, you know, one nineties. So we'll see that with Jaden as well. He'll come in over 200 pounds. I don't know if they want to see him over 210 or what they want him to be, but you can make that happen with water weight. Um, so I suspect those guys will go one, two, three. I'd be, I'd be really surprised if they didn't. But I think what we're seeing, and you saw it in DJ's latest mock draft at NFL.com, J.J. McCarthy at eight to the Falcons. And yeah. J.J. Is, is going to end up being a very popular quarterback by the time the draft rolls around. And I think that's where that number five pick can come into play. Um, for a quarterback, because that's when you're really going to get the haul. If if the Vikings, and that's, I could see the Falcons or the Vikings. And look, a lot of this is going to depend on free agency and Russell, you know, what happens with Russell Wilson? What happens with Justin Fields? What happens with Kirk Cousins? You know, there are some free, Jimmy Garoppolo, there are going to be some free agent, you know, free agent. There's going to be some free agent movement that may dictate whether or not all of those teams have filled their, their hole or not. But I suspect I'd be very surprised if someone didn't trade up to number five to get McCarthy. If if DJ's projecting him at number eight to the Falcons, if he's as popular as we think he is, you know, specifically in light of what Brock Purdy has done, you know, someone who looks as though they're going to excel in that style of offense, someone who uses the middle of the field, someone who's got that athleticism, uh, that is a very quick processor, that, you know, is on time, that is accurate. There's going to be... I think about the, the Rams, the the Vikings are the first two, the Falcons, Falcons. that come to mind, you know, Raheem Broncos, just leaving Sean McVay. Yeah, so I think those particular teams are going to be really interested in J.J. McCarthy and might want to trade up. Yeah, we dove into this last week a little bit. Uh, would you trade with the Broncos or Raiders knowing that they would want J.J. McCarthy? I don't know if, I don't know if the... You know, Jim Jim was talking about him being the number one quarterback in this draft. Yeah. So knowing that you'd have to play him twice a year, it's probably something you have to think twice about. But uh, the, the well, fact with the that, Broncos too, Chris, they, they're they're low on picks. You know, they they don't have a second. So yeah. you're talking about the Raiders do. Um, I, so I think that's kind of to me that's the more interesting part is if I think you want picks in the top 100. So if you're going to trade back that far, if you're going to trade back to 12 or 13. You're going to want another one in the top 60 for sure. And you're going to probably want a third as well. It would be my guess. If that's how far back you're going, you're going to probably want their two and their three and maybe a conditional for next year or something along those, you know, another three next year. Like that's going to, that's a big drop. You know, when you're going seven, eight spots back, it's not like going to eight and you go from five to eight and you grab their two, you know, something like that. So to me, I, because we talked about it last week. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? I think it just comes down to the package. I think about what Joe said in his introductory press conference about comp picks and and how this is really – it's a top-heavy draft, but it's also a deep draft. And I think that that to me would ultimately – like, whatever. You know what? We're, we're not going to worry about J.J. McCarthy to the Broncos or the Raiders. If they're the ones that are going to give us their second and their third and maybe a one next – something crazy like that, then, yeah, 
whatever, take him. We'll, we're comfortable with Justin Herbert as maybe being the best quarterback, you know, who can eventually become the best quarterback in the division. You know, all due respect to Patrick Mahomes, but just someone who has the ability to perhaps dethrone him with the right coaching and the right pieces around him. The Patriots are the biggest wild card here because I, if, if we believe that Caleb Williams is going to go to the Chicago and uh, the commanders are going to select their quarterback of the future, the Patriots, they have a young roster. Do you bring in a veteran uh, and pair him with Marvin Harrison Jr.? So whatever they do, uh, I, I think is, is going to really change the complexion of the draft and what the Chargers may get at number five, too, because let's say the Raiders want Jaden Daniels and they're going to give the Patriots an offer they can't refuse, and they just stack picks. They end up getting J.J. McCarthy or Bo Nix or Penix later in the first round and have a haul of picks. I mean, I, I, I just look at those first three picks. They all need quarterbacks' money. It's, it's just dependent right. on, I guess, what direction they go. Um, some of these questions that we got – I almost feel like we should save some of them for next week, like with with some of these analysts that we talk to, because you know we're, we're talking about fifth, sixth, and seventh round interior linemen. I think maybe right guys like Lance or DJ or whoever may, may be better suited to answer those questions in late February. But let's just get right to some of these questions. I would say something just real real quick, Chris, before yeah. we before we start with the Q and A. You know, as I, and I'm looking at the mock draft. You know, just kind of the the draft order off the screen. I think it's also you know, it depends what the Chargers board looks like. Like you don't, how closely graded out are, if, if it's offensive line, you know, how close is Joe Alt to Vashanu, to, Fu, uh, to Fuaga, to Latham? Because Justin Jefferson's going to make the most money of any player that's not a quarterback. That's what yeah. this contract's going to look like. And when you start talking about that and having to pay, a wide receiver, $32, $33 million a year. You know, if you have, you know, if you think Terry and Arnold or Nate Wiggins or Quinion Mitchell, one of those corners, you know, are graded very similarly to what you might get at eight or nine or five. Brock Bowers, if you think he's going to slide to 15 or something, one of these teams could trade a haul to jump up to get a Dunze Neighbors or Harrison because of just the, the economics. I mean, the fact that you can lock these guys in for five years and a franchise tag, six years, wide receivers are becoming that valuable because of what we're going to see with contracts. You know, when you've got to pay, we saw it with Tennessee. We saw it with Stephon Diggs and, and Buffalo and, and, you know, getting Jefferson on that rookie contract because they did not want to pay Stephon Diggs. They didn't want to pay A.J. Brown. They thought they were going to replace him with Traylon Burks with the first-round pick. Like, I think there's still potential outside of the quarterback where you could end up picking up a two and a four or something along a two and a high three, you know, to go back for one of these teams that may want to jump up, you know, to get the Colts, the Saints, you know, to get one of those three elite receivers um, that are going to end up going in the top eight picks. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and we also don't know what, what the Chargers are going to do with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Like if, if, right. if Adunze neighbors and one of those guys, Marvin Harrison, one of those guys will be there at five. And if, if the Chargers have a super high blue chip grade on one of those guys and said, Hey, this is the best player in the draft stick and pick, right? Like, like yeah. just start, start building Justin's weapons. Um, see if you can get more out of Quentin Johnson in year two, you got Joshua Palmer 
and then we'll see what happens with with Keenan and Mike. But there's just there's just so many really solid options for the Chargers at five. Um, which leads me to this first question by Alex Murray. With the limited amount of funds the Bolts have to spend in the offseason, which positions would you prioritize to a free agent signing? That's a good question. I'll, I'll just start off with one position. I think running back is an intriguing position in free agency because you can get guys for, for maybe a little bit cheaper. Um, yeah. so, I mean, running backs, it, it is what it is. That's the cost of doing business, being a running back in the NFL. Um, so I, I look at the like the Ravens roster. They have a lot of unrestricted free agents that Joe knows. I'm not saying they're going to go to that well the entire time, but you know, there's some like guys like Gus Edwards. Um, there's some other, I think, running backs that could be very intriguing with what Greg Roman and Jim Harbaugh want to do. Probably depend on how, how they feel about the draft. You you would much rather have a running back because you can get them in the middle rounds. You, you can get them late day two. You can get them early day three, you know, late third round, fourth round in, in that range. And now instead of paying them, you know, four and a half million bucks, you're paying them 750 grand. And yeah. and that goes a long way when you're talking about the, the cap situation the Chargers are in. But you make a great point, Chris, because you think about what the what the the Lions did last year with Montgomery and, and how important he was to them. And and so you can get these players, Jamal Williams going to the Saints on just a, a tiny deal. You, you know, there are going to be players available. You mentioned Gus Edwards, someone that, that Ortiz is certainly very familiar with. Um, so you can get players that seem, you know, that are relative bargains. I just don't know if they're enough of a, if, if even that is enough of a bargain, the Singletary contract, the, you know, the, the Montgomery contract, the, the Jamal Williams contract, I don't even know if that's enough of a bargain to, to make it worthwhile to, to attack that position. Um, you know, there's, look, they're going to sign free agents. I don't think there's any doubt about yeah. that. What I think, you know, coach Harbaugh and, and Joe Ortiz are, are going to be looking for is sort of, you know, what these, this new coaching staff believes they can coach up, you know, Hey, there's hidden value here. And, and these O-linemen there, I believe there's hidden value in this center and centers typically, you know, they, they, can we, can we find value in that position? That's to me, that's, and I think you'll probably find some, cause they need to build depth on the O-line. I think you'll see some, some of those lower numbered signings at that position group linebacker is always interesting because they tend not to to make a lot of money but I think it's important to remember there's premium positions I think you hit it on the head right it, it's not going to be it's probably not going to be wide receiver defensive end you know offensive tackle corner you know what you're what you probably could look like is interior line linebacker safety running back is sort of you know maybe a blocking tight end which they desperately need I think it's it's sort of that path that I would be looking for I don't think there's going to be much in terms of a, a free agent splash I'd be surprised yeah someone had a question about Cody Whitehair getting released the positional versatility is, is a garden center I think if I'm not mistaken I think the Rams are going to release Brian Allen their center and uh right. you know Zeitler's a free agent so there's there's a lot of potential free agent options to kind of bolster the interior line uh, I do think center is going to be a priority trying to get your center of the future as opposed to maybe a guy who you have for a couple of years and maybe that's something they do in the draft um it's also money- important Chris to remember um comp picks you know Joe Ortiz specifically brought it up three or four times yeah you don't get comp picks by signing free agents especially when the Chargers aren't going to have a whole lot going out. You can't cut a guy 
that then gets signed as a free agent and get a comp pick. It's when they leave an unrestricted free agency. And because they don't have a lot, there's Kenneth Murray, there's a Loey Gilman, you know, like you're trying to get that, you're trying to get that math to work out in your favor. So you get those comp picks and, and you're not going to, that, that's not going to happen if you're busy signing a bunch of guys when you don't have a lot of guys going out this year. Yeah, that's a great point. This is from Don. Provided Mayor Daniels is there at number five and the Chargers are offered a haul for the pick, what's the lowest number they would trade back for and what position would they select? They, and he put cornerback, right tackle, center, edge, and why? Um, I, I'll go first real quick, Bunny. I just think free agency is going to dictate a lot of what they do and, and who they get in free agency, who they're comfortable with on the roster. Um, and how far back they're willing to go is how much the package is. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think the Chargers have a number of positions that they could attack. Um, you mentioned corner. I, you know, this is a, a pretty good corner class, and I, I would be surprised if they didn't select a corner early in, in this draft because they just they, they need to kind of uh, stockpile that position. Um, but what do you yeah. think? You know, there's a lot of different positions well, I think the Chargers could use right now. Yeah, it's it's deep. It It's really pretty it's pretty deep at two particular positions and it happens to be two positions based on what happens with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen that the Chargers you could you could argue have as listed as needs and that's tackle it's an incredibly deep tackle class it's tackle and it's wide receiver it's a deep, you know I don't know where Brian Thomas is going to go but you know if he's you know he had the most touchdowns in in football and obviously was overshadowed by Malik Neighbors at at LSU but like you're, you're talking about a deep, you could end up having seven, six, seven, maybe eight wide receivers go in the first round. You're probably going to end up having seven tackles go in the first round. So just think about that. You know, if you've got a first round grade, let's say there's a first round grade on four receivers. You've got a first, first round grade on, let's say three tackles, Wiggins, Mitchell, and Arnold. That's now seven. You've got a first round grade on probably, I would guess, five tackles. Alt Fashanu, uh, Fuaga, Latham, and, and probably um, shoot, it's escaping me the name out of Washington. You got those those five guys. You've got so I mean, that's a lot. If you're talking about four quarterbacks now, now you're talking about maybe going down as far as 16. Because like here's and, and look, this might just be my philosophy but i i would assume it's it's subscribed to by most gms to me the first round draft a premium position draft a tackle draft a defensive end draft a corner draft a wide receiver draft a quarterback you, you know that's to me that's important because they're just you tend to be able to find the other positions late it's something the rams have been really good at they have not had those first round picks and when you look at all of their selections when they have these twos and threes and fours they're linebackers safeties tight ends guards you can really stock your roster and build some depth in those later rounds so when I think about four corners the 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 five wide receivers Brock Bowers like there's enough there where you could trade back to the to the late teens maybe the mid to late teens and still feel really good about the play you're going to get. Now I'm going to make this even longer. There's also the idea, like you said earlier, Chris, about the blue chip. Do we want to, do we really want to get out of the range of neighbors, Adunze, Harrison, Jr., Alt, 
Fashanu, Bowers. Do we want to do we want to remove ourselves from those six players? Would also be the conversation. Yeah. Or, or Terry and Arnold, if he's in there, or Quinion Mitchell, if he's you know what I mean, like that. To, that's the secondary conversation. How big of a drop is it from what we have listed as this top heavy? really, really talented at the top draft and where we want to find ourselves. I, I don't know if you can go past 15, but I just, do you subscribe to this though, Muddy? Like, because you have Justin Herbert and we've seen what he's done with guys like Guyton and T. Billy, uh, you can get away with getting an extra second or uh, a future first and draft a guy like Brian Thomas uh, and then have an extra pick to to restock your secondary or to get another edge player, right. or to get another interior lineman or offensive lineman. Like I think those are the conversations in terms of roster building and team building that you probably have to have is yes, Roma Dunze and neighbors and Marvin Harrison. Yeah. Th those are like slam dunk blue chippers. But if you can get a couple extra picks in this draft and you really like some of these position groups, is it worth getting the fourth or fifth best receiver in this draft or maybe Brock Bowers drops a little bit because of just some of the needs at the top of the draft. And then you get an extra corner or you get your future center in the second round. I mean, I think those are the conversations that you have to have, right? Certainly. And, and just the team needs depth. And I think that's where it really comes in is, and to me, once you, for me, once you get out of those, to me, Thomas is going to work his way into that, that conversation of being probably top half of the first round, again, just because of the economics. So I think once you get outside of that, yeah, wait, it's there, there's 17. Yeah, I think DJ's got, or maybe it was Dane Brugler I heard say, he's got 17 receivers in his top 100. So, you know, you can wait. That's where I would then, let's get that, let's try to get a high second rounder and just stack the O-line. Get the center, get the tackle, and now you have depth. Now you have depth with Pipkins. You have depth with Sawyer. You can you can maybe find a starting center out there, you know, or another center to create some depth on your offensive line. We know how Jim Harbaugh wants to play. How did he beat Ohio State three years in a row? How did he win a national championship? Physical line play, dominating at the lines, taking a team, we say it all the time, into the deep end in the fourth quarter and, and pulling them under. That's the way he plays football. It's the way he's always played football. So to me, and it's it's Fatanu out of Washington, Amarius Mims I forgot about, who's just an absolute mammoth human being out of Georgia. Like, you're talking about six tackles? So you could trade back and feel real good. And now if, you know, you're looking at, again, if you're, if you're looking at centers, because clearly the way they restructured Corey Lindsley's contract, it appears as though he's, going to retire yeah. in you know start of June and and this was just some cap math to help them out but if you look at 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 centers now you can get both now you can get your tackle and and who knows maybe you decide tackles really deep and you just love Jackson Powers Johnson because that guy's going to go in the top 20 and you have him rated just considerably higher than Zach Frazier who's a name that we've talked about here and I know DJ likes the guy at Duke quite a bit who's technically a guard, but very well could end up transitioning. Or I think he was a tackle, but he's projected <laughs> yeah. as a guard. I think Bucky and they, has him as a top guy too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's one of those where you're now doing the math. We need to get deep. We need a lot of picks. I know that was a long answer, but 
Great segue, though, into our next question, Money, from David Thompson. You can only double dip on one position group in the draft. Which do you choose and why? For me, it's it's uh, interior or uh, offensive line and, and defensive line. I know the defensive line class isn't really heavy at the Not top. Great. Uh, but you need to build that. Um, the, the way that Harbaugh wants to play, you got to build your lines. So I think, you know, double dip uh, on the uh, on the lines, offensive line, defensive line. At 100% agree. I would I would go corner. I just feel it's the thinnest group. Mike Davis is a free agent. J.C. Jackson did not work out. He's going to count out $20 million bucks against the cap. Got Asante. They need corners. Yeah. They, they, you got Patrick Mahomes in the division. You got Joe Burrow in the conference. Josh Allen in the conference. You, you, you got Tyree Kill and Jalen and Waddell down in Miami. You need corners desperately. So, and they're great. What did Brandon Staley always tell us? Favorite special teams players were corners. Was always going to populate the roster with corners, especially with those late round picks, because he believes they're the best special teams player. And we saw that with Dean Leonard and Ja and those guys on special teams. So you get that double dip there. Great special teamers, along with a position that's probably the thinnest outside of running back because of the free agents with Austin and Joshua Kelly. So that would be the one that that I would love to see attacked. Yeah, it's it just speaks to the fact that you need depth, and this team needs depth at a lot of key positions. You know, some of the questions, and you know, it, it makes sense. A lot of a lot of fans want to talk about the running back and the wide receiver and the tight end, um, but it's it's just not it's not a seven on seven team, right? Like you, you really have to build your team through the draft, and it may not be sexy to talk about the offensive line, the defensive line, and maybe some of the corner positions, but um, this team really needs to uh, identify how they're going to play football, how they're going to protect Justin Herbert, and obviously get him weapons too. So um, it, it's it's so fun to talk about. I remember last year we talked about B. John Robinson and Zay Flowers and all, all right. these different wide receivers and running backs that, that could be potential toys for Justin Herbert, but uh, it goes a little bit deeper than that too. Let's see. Um, flock with me. What's a position or two that you both think the draft can't answer for us that we would need to find in free agency or via trade? That's a good question. Well, so much of it is like, we don't know what they're going to do yeah. with, with these players. Like we, what, what if, what if they go to Mike and say, we're going to let you go and you're coming off an ACL and, and Mike's camp says, I want another crack at it. Just look at it as a free agent year. Let's, let's reset this. Let's make it a one-year prove-it deal. I feel really good about this coaching staff and, and what I have to contribute. And, and now you're keeping everyone. And now you've got Mike and Keenan and, and Josh Palmer and, and Q. So now you're deep there. And same thing with Bosa. No, I want to play for Jesse Minner. I, I know I would much rather do that than be traded somewhere. So I think that's such a big part of it uh, because – to me, like that's the one concern is it, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna trade away Joey and Khalil and you only have Thule, what and it's not a real deep edge class, how are you going to find that second pass rusher? And is it Matabike? Like, are you willing to invest a bunch of money there because now you've cut all this money out because Mike and Joey and Khalil are all gone and Keenan's restructured and and now you've got forty, fifty million dollars in money to spend. So so much can change based on how they want to approach 
those four contracts. That's it. Safety's not a real deal. There, there aren't great safeties, and they need a safety. Aloe's a free agent. So is is there a safety out there that they can go get that they think fits the system that Jesse Minner's going to be playing? You know, In terms of just position groups that aren't deep, tight end is not deep. So outside of Brock Bowers, you've got a pretty big drop-off. It's there. There isn't really an elite running back in this in this draft. You talked about that earlier. So yeah, there are some position groups that you may have to to fill via free agency. And the good news is they're not typically high priced. No, you got guys groups. like Hunter Henry, uh, Dalton Schultz. Uh, those are some of the tight ends that are out there. You know, and we, you know Hunter and I would Justin love play a with Hunter. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, if you tell me you got to pass on Bowers, but you're going to get Hunter Henry on a team friendly number along with now you're drafting a tackle and a center or a, a blue chip wide receiver and, a, and an interior lineman like and a corner. Great. hundred percent. I would, we know how much Justin loved having Hunter around and we know that he's a full service tight end. So that that's great point. Like that would be an ideal free agent signing to bring him back. Bottom line is, you know, like you said, between Mike Keenan, Joey and Khalil, all that needs to be hashed out before we can even kind of see the plan come into place with free agency right. and then the draft. And we're going to have so many different Thursdays where we have different iterations of this podcast and what they may do based on what's happened in free agency. Um, yeah. Greg Kim. I know this guy. If you were a draft I prospect, that, uh, what day of the combine would you prefer to do your drills money Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday? So interesting about the combine Every player isn't there at the same time. They, they fly the groups in based yeah. on what day they work out. So it's not like everybody gets to the combine on Monday. And you're waiting. And if you're a corner, you got to sit around till Sunday. No, you fly in on Friday if you're the corner. And you get all your medical done. And then Saturday, you're doing your interviews. Sunday, you're doing your drills and you're out. So they stack it where the guys aren't there at the same time. The one day I, I wouldn't want to be is Sunday. Because for the most part, a lot of the GMs and and team, you know, team brass are gone. They leave on Saturday. Sunday's a ghost town. So that's just the one day I wouldn't if I if I feel like I've got something to prove at the combine and this is gonna help my stock, I would want to do it in front of the head coach and the GM. I as as much as I appreciate the DC and the and the and the secondary coaches being there who can go back and report, I'd like to have that head coach. And that GM be wowed by what I did out there. So that would that would probably be the one day that I would not want to be there because it's interesting. I, I don't know how to explain it because the corners are typically the best athletes there, and they do put on a show. And it's and it's the most fun drill. They do the gauntlet drill, you know, on on Sunday, and it's a lot of fun. And it's just kind of this back end. They do the gauntlet drill for the wide receivers, but they do these games with the corners and it ends up being a lot of fun. But um, that'd be the one day just because a lot of people are already gone and they're just, they're over it. They're, they're ready to get the heck out of there. Haven't been there since Monday. They want to get out of town. Yeah. Give me, just give me day one. Just, I, I want to be the first, yeah. first in make a good impression. Uh, here we go. We kind of answered this one thoughts on trading down and trying to get powers. Johnson. Listen, anything's a possibility there. Um, <clears throat> reasonable. Yeah, you trade down and get a blue chip. That's what you want. Yeah. Trade down, but don't trade down so far that you lose out on what you have a, a first a first round grade on. 
and someone you know is going to be able to help you. That's why Powers Johnson is so interesting. It's not the sexiest position, but people are really freaking out over how good of a center he is. How would you guys feel if the Chargers walked away with Brock Bowers, uh, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina, who I've, had some nice highlights, and uh, the Notre Dame running back? Fine. I, for me, whoever, I, I just, I have so much confidence in, in this front office. I do. I, I feel like the coaching and the, and the front office folks are, are in sync. They, Greg Roman is, is going to dial up this run offense. He's going to tell you what he needs. There, there's so many people that have been so successful everywhere they've been that I'm just, whichever direction they go, I can see it making sense. I can I can see Brock Bowers making a ton of sense. I can see Joe Alt or Fuaga or Fashanu. I could see Terry and Arnold or Dallas Turner. And now you've got your two edges with Thule and Turner set for for a while. You know Byron Murphy because you need someone uh, on the interior line. Like there's so many. I don't know what it says about the team. <laughs> it just feels like there's so many directions they can go that make a ton of sense. The only issue I would have with that is that it's all skill position guys. When we've also talked about building the offensive line and defensive line, and those guys would all be, you know, first, second, third round picks. I Um, don't think it's a likely path. If you go receiver first, you're going to see some line in the, and that's why the trade down makes so much. I'm I'm sure. I would imagine that, that Joe Ortiz and Jim Harbaugh are doing everything they can to pump up J.J. McCarthy and how this guy is it, and you're going to want to come up to get because they want to trade down. Ultimately, that's what they want. They know they need to stock restock this team, and so they're looking for two extra picks. And if they can somehow figure out a way to trade down twice, let's say they can trade from five to six. What if what if what you know? What if Malik Neighbors? And Marvin Harrison are both taken. What if that's the move? And now the Giants are like, hey, we want a Dunze. We'll give you a third if you just let us move up one spot. Great. Now you're at six. And oh. now someone's like, we want Jaden Daniels. And now you can trade back to eight. And like that's what they want to do. They want to they want to amass more than their three picks in the top one hundred. They want to try to get six or seven in the top one hundred, like Arizona has. That's what the Ravens do too, man. Like you, you talked about Kyle Hamilton a couple of years ago, glowingly, like, like this is the dude and the Ravens end up with them at like yeah. 13, you know, it's, it, they, they find ways to win the draft always. So, you know, Joe's been a lot of those war rooms. Jake Nelson yep. asks uh, a two-parter. Uh, could you guys explain how compensatory picks are acquired? How fast the Chargers could start accumulating them? Uh, and then number two, any veteran slash role players you see taking a, leap this year due to the mentor Roman scheme changes Um, the compensatory pick. So it it looks like that's going to be announced soon. And based on over the cap, it it seems like the Chargers may just get one uh, because of the seventh rounder. Yeah. They they got a seventh rounder coming. That's it. So the way they work is it's what goes out versus what comes in. And there's different rules that go into that formula of, how you are dinged, what level of free agency you, you know, what type of players you sign. If you sign someone, another player is cut. It's different than an unrestricted free agent. If basically it's how many of your players 
that are unrestricted free agents that end up being particularly coming off their rookie contract that be, that gets signed by other teams versus how many you've signed to join your team determine what the compensatory pick awards are and how good is that player versus you know however good that player happens to be will determine is it a 7th, 6th, 5th, 4th or 3rd rounder where you get your compensatory. Think about Baltimore, CJ Mosley gets signed by the Jets that's a third round compensatory pick. Yep. You mentioned Drew Tranquil, Chargers let him go. They sign Eric Kendricks, but Tranquil goes out. Like that's a seventh round pick because he had a better year than, you know, and, and Kendricks doesn't count against that anyway because he's, you know, a vested vet. So that's kind of what we're talking about yep. is, is how. And how soon? Not soon because they're not going to have a lot of those top tier free agents that are going to be signed away. So it's going to Who are the guys you be... think this year, Money? Like Kenneth Murray, potentially? Kenneth Murray, Aloe Gilman, Austin. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. Like Kenneth Murray would probably be the biggest one just because of his draft status and because he's got potential to be an impact player. Yeah. So Murray would probably be the top one. Then you got Aloe Gilman, but they don't have a lot. Like there's not going to be... And, there's, and, and remember... Like other teams are playing the same game. Yeah. So they're going to follow the same rules. You don't want to sign that player in the first wave of free agency. That's a loss in the compensatory formula. You want to sign him in the second wave. And that's how you can play this game and, and end up building that, that war chest. So, but, but the second part of that, when can it happen? Not soon, which is why they have to manipulate the draft to try to acquire more picks in order to fill the void of lack of compensatory picks. What was the second part of that question? Second part was uh, veterans slash role players that could take a leap due to the mentor Roman scheme. Quickly, I'll just, I'll add, you know, I, I think Thule's just going to take a leap in general in, in this scheme and it's going to be great. I think Henley's another guy. And, you know, somebody in the interior, like you look at just the, the history of the Michigan defensive lines and just the, the good interior play. Someone like Tito Abonia, um, could could maybe take a leap and then sure. offensively real quickly for me Quentin Johnston I think he he can only go up and if you you talked about these TCU specials if they can get him in a groove catching the football and and just having a specific role on this football team uh I I, I hope big things for Quentin in year two so he already had a great year but he need Jesse Minter needs Thule to to be great yeah. Because it's all about edge pressure. They need that edge pressure. So that's that's one. You already said Henley. I, I, he's got an opportunity. You think about those, you know, those linebackers and and what they're able to do um, at Michigan. Derwin is an obvious one. Yeah, you know, Derwin didn't have the best year last year, <clears throat> and and so I, I would expect him to have a huge bounce back year. But, How do you feel about the and, defensive line right now, Money? Interior. They need help. There's a ton. I mean, they're all gone. You know, Sebastian Joseph Day obviously was cut. Austin Johnson's a free agent. Love Scott Matlock. Love Tito. And hopefully they'll they'll be able to provide some depth. But they need players on the interior line, no doubt. They need and whatever they decide to do with Joey and and Khalil will determine if they need edge. So it's there's a lot of work to do defensively. Yeah, a lot of work to do defensively. Offensively, if I were to pick one, Zion Johnson. I think Zion had a rough go last year and with Devlin and Nick Hardwick, I feel like he's got all the tools to be a great interior lineman and just needs better coaching. 
And I would suspect that he'll get that from those two guys. So last year, the the big name was Bijan Robinson. I feel like we got a Bijan Robinson question every time we right. did this. Uh, I can't tell you how many Brock Bowers questions there are. Yeah. Um, I love that we have an early pick. Do you think he's worth the fifth pick? Uh, there are many options. That's from Eddie. Uh, Roberto, how do you guys feel about Bowers? I feel like he's the the missing elite tight end that the Chargers haven't had. Um, our our boy Brian Rick uh, has has Bowers fully healed from his injury. Um, will that affect his draft value in your opinion? Uh, to where we could possibly trade back a few spots and still grab him. Um, Brock Bowers is on the minds of Chargers fans. Money. It'd be great. He's an exceptional player. the The thing about look Bowers is a mismatch. He's so good. He's got incredible hands. He's fast. He's very long. So he's not a big dude. And everybody saw that photo that was circulating from Super Bowl of him standing next to Gronk. And it's like, whoa, Gronk is a is a freak. Yeah. He, he's the ultimate outlier because he was that big and that athletic. Like Plus Gronk angles and photos, freak. man. You just I don't know if he's that, that much smaller. He's he's pretty small, like Bowers in terms of tight ends is not the biggest guy he's listed at six four he's probably six three and change maybe he's listed at 240 he's probably more like 230 so he's not big but he's got really long arms and he's incredibly strong and he's just so sudden and so quick as as a tight end and he has explosiveness so once the ball's in his hand you know tight ends tend to be seam routes and yeah, I'm going to get to the middle field. I'm going to be able to, sh- hey, I'm, gonna, I'm faster than your line. If you're the elite ones, I'm faster than your linebacker. I'm stronger than your safety. Bowers has elite athleticism. He's like, he is shaking guys uh, off, off the line of scrimmage. And he's quick into his cuts. He's, he snatches the ball. Think about the stuff we were talking about with Quinton that he struggled with gathering body catcher that he had to work on to, to continue to evolve his game. Bowers does not break stride, man. He is snatching that thing out in front of him, and he is in a dead-ass run. And if you've got a linebacker on him, you're dead to rights. And if you watch the Georgia games, if you watch the Bowers tape, so much of it are just flares and smokes and screens and just passes to the flat. And you just watch him explode, and he's got the angle. Like, they they can't catch up to him because he's that fast. So he's just a different type of player. Now, and the thing with the, the the size, why it's such a big deal, is you're talking about, is he a Y? Is he a full-service tight end? He appears to be strong enough. He's not going to be elite in that category, but he's good enough where I don't think he's getting at, where he's a waste inside. So it's, he certainly seems like a Jim Harbaugh player. I mean, he is tough as nails. And and look, what did how important was Sam Laporta to the Lions offense this year? I mean, gigantic. You could argue he was the most important pass catcher, even ahead of Amon Ra, because of what he meant in the red zone on third down, critical downs. He was the guy. So, like, just think of it that way. Think yeah. of had the Chargers taken Sam Laporta last year in, in the first round, what we'd be talking about right now, just how good, and he's, he's really a receiving tight end. He's more in that Travis Kelsey mode where, so just, would you use a first round pick on Sam Laporta? Of course you would knowing now what you know. So to me, Bowers makes sense. I, so here's the flip side of it. Yeah. Would you take him at five? Right. That's now? the, that's the flip side. Probably not because you're talking about position. You can't take Brock Bowers at five if Roma Dunze, Malik Neighbors, or Marvin Harrison Jr. are there. And they Why? Will be. Because 
the second you take Brock Bowers, he becomes one of the five highest paid players at his position. So immediately, immediately. And by the time he's on his fifth-year option, he'll be the third or second highest paid tight end. So that's the thing. When you get a Dunze or Harrison or a tackle like Alt, think about the contract Rashawn Slater's going to sign and this offseason. It's Laramie Tunzel's making 25, 28 million bucks a year. So Travis Kelsey's making 13. Like that's why you can't take the tight end that high or why it's, it's hard to take him that high. Because if Justin Jefferson's going to make 33 million bucks a year, I want to take Roma Dunze or Malik neighbors. So I don't have to pay a receiver $33 million. I've got a top 10 receiver in the league for 6 million bucks in his fourth year. That's what you don't, you have a tight end in his fourth year for six million bucks. Congratulations. You got one of the fifth highest paid tight ends in the league. So that's where that the economics of it come into play and why it's so hard to draft someone like that that high. Yep. Excellent point. <clears throat> a couple more. And you know, we ha- we have so many. We'll get to some of these next week too. We'll ask some of our uh some of our guests sure. some of these questions. But um our boys from Thunder Down Under, uh a lot of fans online seem to hate the idea of the Bolts sticking at five and picking an offensive tackle, which was floated in DJ's mock. Uh, how would you both feel about it? First of all, DJ has so many iterations of this thing. He's got he's on he's on 2.0, I think, right now. So he's going to have like five or yeah. six more. Um, but it, it fills a need. That's it. It fills a need, uh, and the Chargers have a lot of them. So I, I don't have a problem with Joe Alt going at number five if, if Ortiz and company think that that's the guy. Look, again, I'll go back to the Lions. How do you feel about having Panay Sewell and Taylor Decker? Like, how do you feel about having that offensive line? Do you think the Lions got to where they were because of as good as Jameer Gibbs was or Amon Ross St. Brown is, or we already talked about Sam Laporta? No, they got there because of their line. It's the best blocking line in football, and they have time to operate. Jared Goff does not operate well in a muddy pocket. Pocket was clean for the most part on their march to the NFC championship game. So lines are important. And guess what? If you take all and he's as good as we think he is, and we know Slater is an all pro level tackle on the other side, you know how much better Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer and Quentin Johnston are going to be because he's got time. Now they've got time. Now Keenan's got time to break his guy down because he's the best route runner in the league. Quentin's got time to get that foot in the ground and start to get that inside leverage on those slants. Mike Williams has got time to get a 50-50 ball down there. Josh Palmer, like that's a tackle is the foundation of an offensive play. If protection holds up, there's so much more you can do. Think about how miserable the run game was and has been really for seven years. Yeah, Alt is a massive human being, a giant of a human being. And when if you move Zion back to that side, you're talking about two of the biggest players at their position that are now on the right side, your run, or typically your run-heavy side of, of the line. Now your running game's working. Well, guess what? Now play action is, is now in play again. Whereas before, nobody bit on play action. They're like, whatever, run it. We don't care. It's a win for us. So all of that stuff comes into play and is upgraded because of your line. It's not just picking Joe Alt. It's picking Joe Alt to keep the pocket clean. It's picking Joe Alt because now a tackle guard tandem can connect and build 
a wall on that side of the ball. I think DJ also referenced money that uh, the Ravens selected Jonathan Ogden and had him as a guard his his first year. His first year. Yeah. So you you get the best guy and you you figure it out. And when you have elite players, they can play different positions. And an Alt Slater uh, one-two punch is, is pretty good in a, in a AFC West that's loaded and you need to beat the Chiefs. Um, when you have Justin Herbert's arm, it's yeah. not just the receiver. It's the time for the route to develop. Like let, When you have that kind of talent that can push the ball 60 yards in the air, keep the pocket clean. And guess what? He's going to be able to push the ball downfield more. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last one. Uh, what is the projected split between 11-12 personnel going to be with Roman and Harbaugh calling the shots? How important is having three wide receivers on the field compared to extremely potent two tight end sets? Most teams these days are running around 65-75% 11 personnel. The days of Mike Keenan, Quentin, or another capable wide receiver will likely change greatly. It's It's a great question. And, and I think it, what they decide to do will dictate the personnel and this, the decisions they have to make, especially at the wide receiver position. I mean, that's one of the things about what Stanford did when Jim Harbaugh showed up is when he was running with six offensive linemen, two tight ends, because the Pac-12 didn't have the personnel to deal with it. It was a quarterback passing conference. And so he just did the math. He's like, okay, well, Everybody is running 11 personnel and everyone's trying to get enough corners to keep up with it. Now they've got enough corners because that's what they've populated their roster with. All their linebackers are light in the ass. So because they've got to keep up with all of these pass catchers running all over the place. Well, guess what? We're going to go out there with, and, and I called a ton of these Stanford games. The splits were so tight. It was the, I just remember watching it going, my God, this is so different than everything else we're watching. They've got six offensive linemen and two tight ends. And I mean, you couldn't put a credit card between those bodies and they would snap the ball and just wreck shop. So I think it's all math and it's what, what do we do to think about what Greg Roman did in Baltimore when they got Lamar Jackson, they're like, you know what? We're going to run a ton of 12. We're going to run a bunch of 13. And, you know, and we're going to run three tight ends. And we're going to run – and and Lamar is going to be the ultimate X factor because they started doing that. They were doing, you know, and Patrick Ricard is whatever he is, a fullback, an extra offensive lineman. Guy's 305 pounds. Like, so that to me is – is it's whatever they think the math is. If they feel like they want to play ball like they did in Baltimore – and they want to play ball like they did at Stanford, then, yeah, you're going to see a lot more 12. You're going to see a sixth offensive lineman. You're going to see some 13. And, and you're going to see, you know, Greg Roman's a run guy. He is he is all – he is the he is one of, if not the best. Look, there's Kyle Shanahan who is incredible with the run, no doubt about it. That is what that offense is. It is predicated on the success of the run. Same with Sean McVay. So I can't call him the best in terms of offensive run calling, but – He's up there. Like, he's really good at it. So, yeah, I, there's probably going to be a lot of 12. But if you – again, let's just say Mike Williams wants to come back. You don't want Mike, Keenan, Josh, Quentin. Like, you don't want three three of those guys on the field at the same time. If, if that's your advantage, it's whatever, it's whatever you think you have 
an advantage at is what you're going to do. It's not just Roman saying, hey, we got to play in 12. We got to play with two tight ends every snap. That's not how it works. It's no. what's our advantage. How do we how do we gain an advantage with our numbers? And yep. that's what it'll come down to. The best the best coaches um, look at their personnel first and then cater their system around the personnel that they have. Right. Um, Justin Herbert's a different quarterback from Lamar Jackson. And, you know, you go down the line of the history of Greg Roman. He's, he's had different guys, but he's been effective at running the football, which should be uh, music to Chargers fans' ears after what we've seen the last few years running the ball. You have to be able to run the football 100%. money. It's, it's been so strange with Baltimore. It, and, and we saw it firsthand in 20 whatever it was, 2018. They come out and they just start throwing the ball all over. And it's like, thank you. Because remember, Chargers are playing with Adrian Phillips as their only linebacker. Yeah. And and they start throwing the ball. After two weeks prior on a Saturday night, they ran it down the Chargers' throats. It was the weirdest thing ever. So I think that's, yeah, it's important to, it's important to just remember, it's it's not about philosophy. It's about personnel and opponent and advantage. And that's what'll dictate how you play. Yep. By the way, I think Haley Elwood did uh, interviews with Roman, Mentor, and Ficken, um, which Check I'm those sure out. is coming to charges.com soon. And get a little Definitely. more insight on their philosophies and how they want to play ball in Los Angeles. Um, that's going to do it for us. Money, anything else before we uh, pack our bags, go to Indy? We got a lot of fun stuff next week. Yeah, just keep an eye because it's not going to be the Thursday pod. We're going to probably post two, maybe three of these things. And I know we already have Lance Erline, whose dad, one of the great offensive line coaches ever, and nobody knows more about offensive line in the draft than Lance. He's going to join us. I know Nate Tice, also dad, one of the great offensive line coaches in, in the NFL uh, of all time. And, and Nate is great at, at breaking it down for the athletic. He's going to join us. And we're going to get a lot of people. We've got a lot of friends out there. We're going to, we're going to wrangle them, throw them in the chair and, and have a chance to catch up with them and get some of that outside perspective about what they think the Chargers need and, and what they're going to do. It's going to be a lot of fun. And just please keep, keep tabs because it's not just going to be a Thursday pod. You're going to see a lot more than that. Uh, maybe it'll be short YouTube videos at chargers.com or, you know, videos at chargers.com of those one-offs, or it'll be multiple pods, maybe even every day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, something along those lines. Yeah. Keep, keep uh, tabs on the subscription. And um, man, I, I think I say it every time, but just, I, we appreciate the questions. So many good sure. ones, uh, a ton of them this, this time around. And we'll use some of these questions that you guys have for our guests next week too, to get another opinion an outside opinion on, on this chargers team and the draft moving forward. So um, that'll do it for money. I'm Chris. We will see you in Indy next week. Mm -hmm.